Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kinter and Shaden Jones. We have a great show for you all today, as former NBA and Kentucky basketball star Tony Delk is on with us. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you bringing me on, and I'm looking forward to, uh, hopefully I can bring some excitement to this show. Okay. Well, Tony played for the Kentucky Wildcats from 1992 to 1996, and in his senior year, the team won the national championship, and he was selected as the Final Four Most Outstanding Player. After his incredible career at the University of Kentucky, he was selected as the 16th overall pick in the 1996 NBA Draft by the Charlotte Hornets. After playing with the Hornets, he played for the Warriors, the Kings, the Suns, the Celtics, the Mavericks, the Hawks, and the Detroit Pistons. After retiring, he joined the Kentucky coaching staff with head coach John Calipari from 2009 to 2011, and then he went on to be an assistant at New Mexico State. As I said earlier, you were a fantastic player in college. Having played so many games and playing all four seasons, you saw a lot in your college career. What was the best memory you had at Kentucky other than the championship? Uh, you know what? I would have to say that 31-point comeback against LSU on the road. Uh, you know, that, that game alone where we just lost two, uh, two games in a row, one to Arkansas, we just lost to Area Dome. And that would have been my third, only third loss I would have had at Kentucky as a player. And just to be down by so many points, uh, the way we fought back and just the, uh, the energy we played with, enthusiasm, and just uh, just sharing the ball. I mean, it was a game where we probably would have lost if, if we collectively come together and play as a team. So that would probably be just one of the moments I remember most uh, was just being down about 31 points on the road with about under 16 minutes to go, and we delivered probably one of the best comebacks in uh, college basketball history. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that game, and it's one of the most memorable games in college basketball history. Uh, I can't really, really remember what year that was. Do you remember what year it was? That was 94. Okay. Yeah, I heard... 94. I'd heard a lot of stuff. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was the Shaq year. But, uh, now... Uh, no, 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 that would, that would have been, uh, I think, 1992. Yeah, and you weren't on that team then. Were you? You didn't play with Shaq. No. Uh-uh. Okay, I didn't think so. Now, speaking of that championship year, you had a lot to do with bringing the championship back to Kentucky. That year was personally one of my favorite Kentucky teams I've ever seen with all the great players on the roster, with nine players from the team playing in the NBA, just looking at all the talent with you, Antoine Walker, Nazi Muhammad, Derek Anderson, Walter McCarty, and Ron Mercer all having long NBA careers, there was certainly a lot of hype regarding that team. Uh, having so much hype then, how hard was it having to deal with all the pressure you guys had? Well, I think uh, the team in 95, we lost a, a tough Elite Eight game to a uh, North Carolina team that had uh, stack out the while at just beginning. Yeah. And we basically, you know, basically returned everyone and added uh, Derek Anderson to the fold as well as Ron Mercer to the fold. And once we got those guys, you know, we, we already had a great core. Um, and we had, a, had a, an exciting style that, you know, we were used to playing. When you're in the system four years, um, you know, you really learn your personnel. You know, the, the coach uh, knows his personnel. And we just knew you just had to come back 
and decommitted to playing defense as well as, you know, uh, sharing the ball on offense. And we knew everything up to every step. So when you return that many guys, if you can just not have those guys think about ego, you'll have a great shot at winning. And that's something that we did. We just played for the, for the good of the team, and we played for the championship. Yeah, I think the addition of Derek Anderson was a very underrated addition as he went on to have a great NBA career, was a lottery pick. He came over from right. Ohio State, yeah, and uh, went on to start for the actual San Antonio Spurs and the Portland Trailblazers. So, yeah, uh, Derek Anderson right. was a great player. So, yeah, of course, bringing back all those players and then adding Ron Mercer and Derek Anderson, yeah, there was definitely a very high percent chance you guys won the championship. Uh, of course, you yeah, all. We um, just have it off the counter. Makes a whole lot of difference when you can just, you know, put pros on the court. And the most important thing is that we bought into the system that Coach Pacino, um, you know, that he that he had probably formed years ago before he even come to Kentucky. Just had his five players he could put on the court that could shoot threes and uh, play up tempo. Yeah. Of course, you all won the title that year, and it is one of the most memorable championships for Kentucky fans. So, can you tell us your best memory from that championship year? You know, we had so many, so many great memories. I mean, you know, just the, the twenty-seven game win streak. Um, you know, going on the road and and just demolishing teams. Uh, you know, I, I think how we how we played, how we performed. I mean, we just wanted to go out there and just, um, you know, just take the heart out of out of team and allow our second unit to be able to play. And whenever you have a good team, you know, you have to think about the guys that you practice every day. And we want to make sure that that second unit, you know, because of how hard we competed, we want those guys to get playing time. You know, and I think that's what we played for. When I say play for the good of the team. It's not just the only uh, the starting five. It's for the role players and guys that. People don't see as much, and they don't know how much they put in to making us uh, complete players. Yeah, of course, your depth went into a lot of the success you guys had, and so you had nine players from that team making the NBA, so clearly you guys were loaded in talent. So that's a lot like the Kentucky teams now. They'll have, they'll have nine, ten guys make the NBA from one team, and – it just that drives the scouts crazy. They love, they love having players there all the time, and they have they even have a Kentucky uh, Scout Day, and they had that uh, I can't remember what it's called the Pro Day. Yeah, the Pro Day. Oh, about the day yeah, the Pro Day. I, I was I was just there uh, Sunday, Sunday and Monday, so I got a chance to uh, experience that, and and uh, you know something that Coach Cal started uh, just to get uh, GMs and. Um, Pretty much all the, some of the coaches, scouts, scouts, most of the scouts come in, uh, coach, scouts and GMs. And it's a way for the player just to, uh, to highlight what they can do, you know, and just, uh, and all they're young, still trying to figure the game out, but, you know, at least you can get that off your plate. You know, it's still, to me, I would be a nervous wreck just knowing that, you know, uh, that's my dream playing the NBA. Then these, uh, scouts and GMs are coming to watch me play as a, 18 or 19 year old kid, uh, you know, it's, that's a lot of pressure for those guys to be under. But, uh, you know, they know at some point in time if they play the correct way, they will be able to, they will be able to perform on the highest level. Yeah, I think Cal Perry really trains the players great to take that next step to the NBA. And as you said, everybody's got to buy into it. 
uh, it's for the better of the team. Everybody, everybody gets to make the league. They work together, and then so a lot of what I was I talked yesterday about like I think Kentucky players are a lot like the, in NBA draft wise they consider Kentucky players like European players as you really don't know what you're getting because they don't get Cal Perry kind of holds them back so they can have a better team so you just see little little pieces of European players and that's the same way with Kentucky players you get to see the shoot arounds and stuff and you get to take what you get from that and that's about the same thing with Europeans so yeah it's just like a it's like a factory at in uh, Lexington with NBA players and of course Cal Perry is doing a phenomenal job and all these kids look up to him because he helps them accomplish their dreams and I really yeah yeah Cal Perry's just great at doing this and I, I look up to him a lot for it well the, the good thing like you said is that you know he doesn't stop the guys from you know if the dream comes early then later um you know he's one of those guys that he tells the players he wants them to be able to take care of and feed their family and um you know with that being said he's going to allow you to go out there and play your game but it helps you because you're playing with other good players you know yeah. once you leave high school you could be the best player but when you get to the nba uh you're going to have you're going to be surrounded by other good players and that's the difference in you know who you become as a player and those those um those times of playing with, with talented players, you know, and it made, to me it made the game easier when you could just have uh, so many good players around you and they just can't key in on one player. And that's what Coach Cal has done with the team. And this team uh, improved and gets better, especially going into the second half of the season. They'll start gelling and uh, playing better, having better chemistry. And I always say it happens in February because when you bring uh, so many young players in, it takes some time to get acclimated to the collegiate game. And, um, you know, easier said than done, no matter how good you are, you still have to be able to uh, play within the uh, confine of the system that he puts in, but also the good players. Yeah, I really think of whenever somebody talks about how Kentucky's struggling at one point in the season, I always bring up the fact of the 2014-15 team, whenever they were the eighth seed and made the national championship. They struggled during the season. They were led by Julius Randle and James Young and the Harrison Twins. And then Florida was atop of the SEC. And then for, uh, Kentucky really started heating it up. And I'm pretty sure they won the SEC championship that year. And then they shocked everybody. I, I always knew they could do it. And then coming into February, they came in and really shocked everybody. And then they made the national championship game. And I really think that they would have won the championship if they weren't. Uh, they were a little sloppy in that game, but they also had major injuries. They were without Willie Cauley-Stein, and they lost Alex Poitras right. for the season. So, especially when considering how young they are, too, they come a long way at the beginning. Well, also, we have to get lucky, too. I mean, I know everyone says about, you know, you have to, um, you know, come down to the last game. It's not like you're playing an experience. In one game, you can, you know, just have a bad game. But uh, your game plan has to change, and you have to be really willing to adjust, uh, you know, from one half to the next half. And, um, you know, I think with Kentucky, when you have young guys that have played in such big games, uh, that experience does play a, a huge factor, especially, you know, when you get to that Final Four. You know, but you still have to have pros on the court. 
uh, in order to win. You know, I think the last maybe maybe eight to ten years, you know, every team that has won, you know, probably has one or two pros on their team. Um, you know, so you you know, those guys they might some might be one and done, some might be juniors juniors and seniors, but if you can collectively keep guys together over a period of time, you know, you have a great shot at winning. As you said, there's a you got to have the ability to go from half to half, from one game to the next right. game, and then so one of the the coach that comes to my mind whenever you're talking about translating in the locker room to the next half was Coach Rick Pitino, who is the head coach of your <laughs> championship team. Uh, he's currently under investigation right. with the NCAA after a huge scandal regarding. All right several teams across the country, with Louisville being the biggest name. Can you give us your thoughts on this whole uh-huh. scandal? Well, I mean, I think, the, you know, it's happening at a at a bad time, you know, for college basketball, because I think so much on it, but on uh, what happens on the football season. But, uh, you know, when you have, you know, uh, families that, you know, in, in dire need, probably some money, and, you know, when you present that to them, it's in some way hard to turn something down if you don't have. You know, you still have to be able to take care of your kids, put food on the table, food on their uh, clothes on their back, and uh, roof over their head. So it, it takes a, a lot to be in that position and, and tell someone, no, that you know, we don't need your help. But also, you don't want to be in a position where, you know, that, that age, you know, that shoe brand has control over your kids. You know, your kids have earned that respect, uh, I don't respect they they played themselves into a great position to be a player, possibly play in the NBA, or just even get a scholarship. It's not always about you know playing in the NBA. Every kid is not going to make the NBA. You know, you look at a you look at percentages. I mean, it's probably like zero point one percent of people that make it in the NBA. And if you think about the fraternity, it's like maybe four hundred and fifty NBA players. And you got to think about you know three hundred twenty million people here. So it is it is it's an exclusive group. And uh, it's a group of guys that all have uh, played differently and all have different backgrounds. But, you know, the one common goal is that they were able to make it. And hopefully we can clean up college basketball and, uh, you know, put the right, have the right programs that not only teach the kids, but teach the parents about what it takes to get to the next level and uh, understand it's a process. You know, you process start in elementary, middle school, and high school. And it keeps going until you reach, reach the highest level. Yeah, I thought for years, I'm kind of mixed between my thought process on the NCAA and the players. So you see from the standpoint where the NCAA gets millions and millions of dollars, the the universities, my bad, gets millions and millions of dollars right. from these players, and then the players get little to no compensation. I mean, they get a college, they All get right. the college stuff, but... They, it's likely they could, some of them could get a college scholarship anyways for academics. But right. you just, I, I think, mean, it's not the parents. I mean, it's, it depends on the school. You take a school like the University of Texas, how much money they spend when they bring in for ticket sales, uh, merchandise, uh, TV games. I mean, so they're making millions of dollars. And you're right, players should be compensated uh, uh, depending on your program. But with Title IX, and, you know, you can't just have guys making money and women not making money. So that's going exactly. in sense, you know, there's something where NCAA has to look at as a, as a as a government body and make decisions as a whole. You know, not just saying, well, we're going to give 
uh, you know, the ACC money or different conference money, you know, you got to see how everyone benefits from it. So it, it's a work in progress. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And, uh, you know, players just got to keep playing and, you know, take that free scholarship and hopefully, you know, uh, they have the talent that they can play on the next level. Yeah, also with it, I'm also on the side that they do get the free education and they do get to take that. And they get the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be on a college athletic program. So I know the NCAA right. and they make money, but the players do get a lot of out of it too. I d I'm not against them getting compensation, but I think I do think they should get compensation, but I can see why they wouldn't. So I'm really mixed on this. Well, the, the problem I have, the problem I have is that, you know, when I came out in 92, you had a four-year scholarship. Yeah. But now it's totally different, you know. So really you have a one-year deal, and if you don't perform up to that level or whatever, you know, now that scholarship could be taken away. So things have changed, you know, where you, you were guaranteed four years, uh, but, you know, over the last few years, you know, the, uh, the rules have changed, and you know, these players only have really one year. If your coach say, hey, you know what, I want to move to the direction, or uh, there's another player that I think is better, you know, I want to take the scholarship. But that kid has left without a scholarship. Yeah, when I think about how much pressure is on the players to perform in that one year, I think of what happened, I think, last year. A five-star recruit, he, he was in high school, and then he uh, reclassified to the next class. So Duke would be with a point guard who was Derek uh -huh. Thornton. And then... He didn't right. declare for the draft, and then they rescinded his scholarship. Even though he was their starting point guard, but they thought they needed they need another scholarship, wow. so they take away from a five star. And then he was forced to look elsewhere, and he was really comfortable with Duke, so he had to move on to Kansas. And it just mm -hmm. it's just a lot of things on the players. So, but definitely, right. it just it, what else? Other thing I was thinking like. They have to figure this out soon because you look at it, players, they don't care. Some will go over overseas and play and get compensation right now. Some will do it. And then there's also the alternative. They can go directly to the G League and enter to the G League draft. Or, as you saw with Western Kentucky, Mitchell Robinson, a five-star recruit, he was going to play, and then he just decided completely to not play, and he's going to train for the NBA draft. And you also see like high school players also doing it. Like Lamelo Ball, he's dropping out of high school, and his dad's going to train him just for the NBA. And with <laughs> making money, making money from the shoes right. and stuff, uh, NCAA is probably well, going to be on him for that's, that's that too. Hope, that's hope he's making money off the big ball of brands. We'll, we'll see. That remains to be seen. He's making some money, but you know, every um, every household is different. You know, you can't do what the next person does with their kid. Uh, you have to know the person that was in the pulse of your kid and make that kind of decision. So when people do it, um, you know, and, and the kid has to be okay because once again, it's just like, you know, as a parent, you want to make sure your kids make the right decision, but also they have to grow up. And, you know, that's a, you know, as I, I remember myself making that decision back in 1992, uh, which between Kentucky and Arkansas, and you have to, you know, some decisions you have to live with, other ones, you know, you get a chance to get out of. I think we're allowing our kids to get out of a lot of decisions that they make. And, um, you know, they have to grow up to be more mature. But, you know, it starts in the household with us, you know, making them stay true to their commitment. Wait, so it was Kentucky and Arkansas? So Tennessee wasn't on that list? I know you're a 
from Tennessee. So you didn't consider Tennessee? They didn't play. They didn't play the style of basketball that I like. So that's where um, Kentucky and and Arkansas, how they played three press, and you know that was brand of basketball I wanted to play. Now speaking more back on the Louisville basketball side of things. The first thing that came to my mind with this was the Kentucky and Louisville rivalry. Uh, the, the rivalry was always a huge right. thing in the bluegrass, but with the reemergence of both of the programs and with both Calipari and Patino being at the schools, it is going to take a big hit uh-huh. with Patino gone. I think the real big reason right. behind this, the huge rivalry, is because Patino used to coach here, and with him basically out as coach, the program right. is likely to take a big hit. And so, so will this huge rivalry. But Rick is one of my favorite coaches of all time, so I really hope that he can clear this and let him coach again. Uh, but definitely, I'll, every every UK fan circles Kentucky Louisville every year because that it's always by Christmas time. Right. People are off for, for a job job break. It's a big time. You got your neighbors. You don't know who's rooting for Kentucky and who's rooting for Louisville. And you just it's, it's the entire week you talk about the game, so I think this is really going to take a hit. And I think I think Patino and Calipari both go to UMass too, or is it Pro? It might be Providence. I can't remember which. But it was also that too. So there are a lot of like. Right. I think they went to the played basketball at the same university too. So they are a lot of like, and I see that. Yeah. But it's just a lot of things going on with this. But I hope hopefully it can get cleared, if. One thing, hopefully, it's because you can get to see the Kentucky Louisville rivalry going on. But I, I don't mind to get. Well, hopefully, because you know. Go ahead. Yeah, over the last only several years, I mean, I look at a rivalry team that you're winning every other year, but you know, uh, Cal had been winning and beating Louisville. Uh, well, Kentucky had been beating Louisville probably seven out of the last eight years, so. You know, I don't know if that could be considered a robbery every, every year. Uh, but uh, yeah, it will be missed. But I'm sure somebody will spark it back up again. Got to give it time and, uh, you know, let it get back. Because, you know, the one thing I can say about, you know, Kentucky fans, they love basketball. And Louisville fans, you know, they, they bleed red and they love they love the Cardinals. Uh, you know, maybe sometime when they, you know, you do have your Cardinals fans that are Kentucky fans. We know that, yeah. but um, it'll probably spark back up here. You know, when Bull get they get back to prominence, that they start getting some of these top recruits, and uh, I don't know uh, what top name coach they're going to get because it's a, it's a great job, and uh, when this season ends, there are a lot of people lobbying for that job. But uh, what I was thinking is usually how we talked about Kentucky. It usually takes them a little while, but they really start to kind of start clicking around winter in that Louisville game, Cal Perry has to beat Patino. So he has to get him starting about that time. But yeah. speaking of the coaching part of things, you have experience in it as you have been an assistant coach at both Kentucky and New Mexico State. Can you tell us what it was like coaching at both universities? Um, you know, at, at the University of Kentucky, because we get so many top recruits, you know, guys come and go. But, you know, I don't think Coach Calipari gets enough credit for uh, the job that he does with the players, uh, you know, get them prepared for the NBA, but also just bring them in and 
and teaching them how the game is played, you know, on the collegiate level, and getting those guys to buy into a system. And then like the Mexico State, which allowed me to uh, recruit, I work on scout reports, and I learned a lot. You know, Marvin Vincent, who did uh, Paul Gear, who was doing defense at the time, was another uh, up and coming coach, and uh, he got the job in New Mexico. But um, you know, allowed me really just to go out and learn learn the game, learn the terminology. Uh, knew what kind of guys, if I ever put my head coach, I would like to recruit and what kind of team I would like to put on the court. So it was a great experience, uh, you know, from Coach Cal uh, to Marvin Menzies working with both those guys and uh, just kind of kind of uh, allowing me to be myself, to help with the player development and, uh, you know, help the players become better, work with them and uh, give them confidence and then just let them know about the experience and what it takes to get to that next level. Uh I'm pretty. You're related to Eric Bledsoe, right? Uh, no. Uh-uh. I thought you were related to Eric Bledsoe. Somebody told me you two were related. Okay. No, no, no. Well, I was gonna say. No, I no, no, you, no. I, I, I was a mentor of his mom's Kentucky, but no, we're not related. Okay. Well, I was gonna say you might have had uh, something to do behind Bledsoe choosing Kentucky, but I was also thinking like how I said European style has got European and Kentucky. Bledsoe was one of those players that kind of got held back at Kentucky because they had John Wall clearly at point guard, and then also to Marcus Cousins because he couldn't really show what he could do because they had so many great players there too. And then you also think of like Carl Towns. He barely averaged over 20 minutes per game, and he averaged 10 points per game, and he was the number one overall pick. So that was also my thought process behind that. But uh, – Speaking of coaching, would you ever consider coaching again? I know you have a great job at SEC Network, but maybe a great opportunity arises. Maybe trying to get uh, that Louisville know, job. I look at it as, as the year goes along, but uh, you know it, it has to be the right situation. I, I don't want to just do it to have a coaching job, or uh, you know I'm doing it just to make money. You know it has to be something I like. Something, uh, with a, a university or organization that um, that works for me, you know, not really works for me personally, but it has to be a good situation for me. I don't think, um, you know, the knowledge and the wealth that I bring to the game, you know, I don't want to uh, not be able to share all of that knowledge, you know, uh, whether it's on the collegiate level or the pro level. And, you know, sometimes I think, you know, when you get hired, you gotta, you got to get hired um, by someone spoke with me off the air about having a book coming out soon. Can you tell us more yeah. about that? Well, the book is going to be about my life story growing up around the Tennessee and how I made it to the NBA and just the drive, the determination that, that uh, and just having, you know, a great support staff from my mom, dad, brother, uh, coaches, friends, uh, just having the right people around me and and some of the people who uh, helped me with my success, my brother, coaches, some of my friends, that staying focused on the big picture. 
when I think sometimes, you know, especially uh, this generation here, just, there's so many distractions. And when you're in a small town, everyone knows you. And if you get in trouble, everyone knows that you're in trouble. So you have to have a, a different kind of rise than other people. But, um, you know, just talking about how basketball was loved, it was a, it was a priority at such an early age. And uh, I just want people to understand, you know, what it takes and, and how much fun I had doing, you know, doing this. You know, I know it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sacrifices that, that were made, but uh, just having the right people, the, uh, the sacrifice paid off. And as you said, helping other people, you're having a clinic coming up soon. Can you tell us more about that also, helping the younger generation? Yeah. Um, we're having a basketball clinic October 29th at McKeeson High School. It's going to be on the Sunday. We'll have three different sessions. Uh, the first session will be third, sixth grade, 830 to 11.30. The second session is going to be seventh through ninth graders, uh, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And the last session is going to be 10th. 12th graders, and that's actually going to be 5 to 8 p.m. Uh, it's going to be a good for the kids to come out and uh, work on the basic fundamentals of the game. And, you know, we can teach them some different things that they are going to have coaches uh, that take place on the high school level as well as the collegiate level. And uh, so they get a chance to work on the individual game at, at all, all the stations that I have. We're going to have about each station probably 15 to 20 minutes, and then the last 45 minutes. To an hour, I want to have the kids play four on four. So we have a lot of gifts for the kids uh, with trading cards, uh, a backpack, uh, a t shirt, and you know, we have a lot of sponsors that have helped me out with this event. So we're still promoting it. It should happen. Uh, we're looking to have a, uh, have a really good turnout. Okay, we've got a few more topics for you. Uh, so now we transition to your NBA career. I can't talk about college the entire time, so we had to get some NBA in. Uh, but you had a very successful NBA career, spending a decade in the league, a feat most players dream to have. Can you tell us what it was like right. playing in the NBA and what made it so great and achieved a lifelong dream? Well, I, I, you keep the dream going. I mean, you start you started start the process as a as a young young youth and then you still can do something as an adult and turn it into a career. Um, you know, you'd never think about it when you're like five, six years old and you're playing basketball and, you know, in the backyard or you're going to the gym with your friends and hoping that, you know, when I become an adult, it's something that I'll still be doing and also still having fun. And just the, the locker room talk, um, just still being competitive at a, at a different age of my life and, just learn from other guys. You know, it, it was it was a, such a great experience to it, but also to turn into a career and having played with some, uh, some really good teammates, uh, having been coached by Hall of Fame coaches. That you know the game goes on, and, and what it's done for me is opened up many doors, and it still allowed me still allowed me to be around basketball, and uh, also to be in a position where I can still talk the game, also train if I need to. Uh, so it's it's been the highlight of my life, uh, you know, just for all things that it provided for me and my family. Speaking of highlights, one of the highlights of your career was your twenty was your fifty three point outburst against the Sacramento Kings while uh -huh. you were a, a member of the Phoenix Suns. 
I know there was a there had to been a ton of things going through your head at that time. Maybe get back at your former team. Uh, Can you tell us what sparked that great scoring effort? You know, it's hard to say. I I think um, you know, just playing. I was just in a zone and not even really knowing it because you know, playing with Jason Kidd, he made the game easy. And what I mean by easy, the only thing, it was, the only thing I had to do was run. He was going to have the ball teamed up, have to be right in the shooter pocket. The only thing I had to do was shoot the ball. But um, just that particular night, it was just so nice. And some players see it, some players see it more than often. And I just had one of those, one of those nights where you know it was in the full offense. It wasn't like um, you know I was getting touches every time down the court. I was watching your highlights from that game earlier, and I saw a lot of driving and mid-range jumpers. So those are always really high percentage, and you had great All looks right. by Jason Kidd. Something I worked on as a kid. Yeah, that was a uh, part of my game that I took a lot of uh, a lot of pride. I took a lot of pride in and uh, teaching myself along with my brother helped me out. Um, a lot of that I've been doing, you know, middle school as well as high school, and I just uh, well, I know that if I was in that situation, I would totally be looking at the score sheet to see how many points I was up to. Uh, was there any of that going on? All right. Was there any of that going on that night? I think we talked that early by Coach Pacino. I think we talked that early by Coach not to look at the scores. The... Uh, the, the score table, sheet on the sheet on the score table, and uh, you know, so you don't really focus with that in it. Um, you know, be a professional. If I want to, you know, you look forward because there's so many games. You know, you probably want to play 82 games, and out of 82, you should have one really, really good. Uh, you, of course, you spent uh, a long time in the NBA, but we just we just talked about a little part of it. Do you have anything else you'd like to share about your NBA career uh, past the Phoenix Suns? No, you know what? Actually, when you know when I, uh, I think when I got to Boston, it was my first time uh, going to the East Conference Finals. So that was uh, a place that I'd never been. You know, I've gone to the first round, made the second round, and uh, you know, going to the third round, East Conference Final after being traded from Phoenix Suns. Uh, you know, that was an experience that I hadn't. That hadn't taken place uh, during my NBA career, and it, it was totally different. You know, when you, you know, you have to. It's so different than uh, playing in, you know, the NCAA tournament, getting down to the Final Four, making it to the National Championship game. You know, it, it's a series, and you might win, you might win two games, you might lose three, and maybe win the next two and win a series. Um, you know, you have to make adjustments, like uh, having a scouting report. You know, the same thing applies. You know, you have to know your personnel and. And that gives you an added advantage, you know, just knowing 
uh, tendencies as well as, you know, the, the best team usually win in a series. And there have been times where I felt like we were the better team and we didn't win in a series. We didn't win that series. I know it was probably pretty fun to reunite with Antoine Walker up in Boston, too. Uh, was Walter McCarty yeah, yeah, on the team, was, too? Uh, yeah, Walter McCarty was there, and our coach was uh, Jim O'Brien, who was my uh, his assistant coach at Kentucky. Mm. And uh, it was good to reunite with those guys, you know, and, just, and also just to uh, coach your staff my game. You know, and, and there's nothing better than being a role player or even a star and a coach appreciates the game, but he knows exactly what the strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, Walter McCarty is uh, currently a Boston Celtics assistant coach, so playing with the Celtics really helped him get a gig there. And then he was also the – I went down to Las Vegas for the Summer League, and I saw he was the head coach for the Summer League team too. So that was really cool right. seeing a Kentucky connection up there. Yeah, keeping it going. I mean, it's, it's in the family. So, you know, as long as he continues to be successful, uh, he might be in a position to maybe bring one of us former players on, on board. Yeah. Uh, as, as speaking of Kentucky players, Kentucky had their annual Big Blue Madness last night, and fans are really excited and can't wait for the season. I was in attendance last night, and it was great. Cal Perry gave a good speech, and... A lot of the former players As came always. out. Yeah. Were you in attendance for the game? No, no, I wasn't. I, I didn't get a chance to see any of uh, the Madness. I had a lot going on myself, so I was pretty much out on all day. But I got a chance to uh, watch those guys uh, during the pro day. And, uh, you know, so it, it was, you know, like the young team, uh, going to get better. But, um, you know, it's going to be uh, uh, later than sooner. Uh, whenever they were showing all the players coming out, they showed a video of you talking uh, about Kentucky, too, so I saw that. I thought it was pretty cool. But my thoughts on this right. on this team... Send a shout-out. Yeah. <laughs> Julius Randle is always also on there, too. So he's one of my favorite players. Uh, but I think this team is going to be really good. Kevin Locks looks like he's a phenomenal player. And I'm really excited to see what he is going to be able to do for us this year, along with Quad Green, Shy Alexander, P.J. Washington, and Jermarl Baker this year. But really, two names that really stand out to me this year are Hamidou Diallo and Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, I, th I really oh, think I'm that... Hamidou Diallo? Yeah. He's yeah, crazy. Yeah, Hamidou... Um, but, you know, I think the position that, that always to me the most important is that... Uh, is a point guard. I think uh, that's required. They have to be really good, uh, efficient, run the team, and you know they have good lift on the outside. But uh, you know, still young, still a young team. Uh, have to find who the leader is on this team, and uh, so it's still an exciting year. I think the conference is going to bring up bring some challenges. But you know, those if those guys can buy in to Coach Kyle Kyle uh, system and play defense, and you know. Make their, um, no, not let their egos get the best of them. If they can do that, I think they'll be fine. And I think, I think it's not a lock yet that Quad Green's going to be the starting point guard because I think Shia Alexander can give him a run for his money. Uh, as we saw a few years ago, uh, the lower-rated recruit Tyler Eulis really showed what he can do at Kentucky with Isaiah Briscoe at point guard. Oh, Lord. 
so you think you think uh, Tyler Judas was lower rated? He was lower rated than the point. He was lower. He was lower rated. He was in like thirty second. I think he's phenomenal. I thought he was better than they rated him. That's well, what no, I'm saying. He, he was a. Um, I think he, I want to say yeah, he was a McDonald's All American, but no, no. But but see, this is where people get caught up not knowing basketball. Because if you look at Tyler Judas and don't look at his size, take his height out of the equation. Is that he knows how to play basketball and. Those are things that you can't always teach. I'm not. I don't look at the athleticism. I look at kind of guys that organize basketball. Can he make his teammates better? Um, you know, will he take the big shot? Does he know time and score? Can he be a coach on the court? So Tyler, you just brought all of that. You know, and I, and I saw that early is that he can get men, and those men will listen to him. So, you know, I never look at look at his thoughts and well, you can't do that. So, but I knew he could play. Um, and, you know, like I said, he had a great season last year. And, you know, as, as the NBA season, industry, excuse me, he balled out. And when his opportunity came, he made the best of it. Because the one thing we know, he's been small in life, so it's not like not used to playing against college. Uh, so he knows how to adjust it. Yeah, the first well, the first thing I saw whenever I saw Tyler Ewell's play is I saw that he had tremendous heart. He tried every single possession. He got after it on defense. And his sophomore year, he even uh-huh. won – he won SEC Defensive Player of the Year, and usually when you think of smaller players, yeah. you don't think of great defensive players. You don't, yeah, you don't really think of great defensive players. But you, have, I think defense is the main thing with Hart, and of course, you saw all he has with Hart. Even at the SEC tournament, he tried to fight like a seven-foot guy, and he he didn't back down to him. So he showed all the heart he had, and I really think that. Tyler, and you even saw Tyler Ewell's last year, as you said, he balled out in the NBA. He had a game-winning uh-huh. three-pointer against the Boston Celtics. So, right. Uh, right. so Ewell's, I think, has a bright career in the NBA. Uh, also, I think he almost had a triple-double last year. He had, like, 18, 9, yeah, and 9. He, he, had a, he had a lot of good games. You know, he just had one good game. He was consistently having good games. And, um, you know, those are things that you look at position that he plays. He plays the most important position and the toughest position and especially with the point guard you know, when you think about uh, Steph Curry, Westbrook, Chris Paul, Damian Love, like he's playing in the league where all the guards are. You know, so he has all the choice but to get better and then to hold his own because, you know, it's like you know, he needs to make sure that he can defend that position. That's the difference between collegiate players, uh, whether they can stay on the NBA level and can you guard your position? And he does a good job of guarding his position. Yeah, uh, especially Phoenix. They they love UK players. They have Eric Bledsoe, Devin Booker, Tyler Ulis, and Brandon Knight. So there's going to be some competition for playing time with Ulis. But with Brandon Knight hurt, he can actually. I think it'd be a really cool pair to see. Like if they the Suns want to go small ball, they could actually start Ulis at the one and then put Bledsoe at the two right. along with Booker at the three. And I think that that team would be really, yeah. really cool. And I definitely UK they fans will be, will be watching uh, that. They really can play fast. Yeah. And yeah, they can really stay And also, uh, speaking about the Kentucky team, I think. But really, what I've been thinking, I think Vanderbilt, before his injury, he was going to be a. He's going. He's still going to be a great player. But I thought he was going to be a really great player this year. But with him out around two to three months, I think it'll hurt us. But 
Uh, we, the Cal Perry did a great job bringing in players. We're deep at every position. And we've got at the position that Vanderbilt plays, I think it's the four. They got Kilea Jones, Winyan Gabriel, PJ Washington. So it's not going to hurt us as bad as most people think. But I think that Vanderbilt really is going to excel in that. And uh, whenever he gets back, he's a he's going to be a phenomenal player. Yeah, it's going to give other players a chance to to get better and grow in there when he comes back to give you some more depth. Uh, so uh, if other guys step up, do what they need to do, and by the time Vanderbilt gets back, you know it's going to give you another elite player. And uh, like I said. Gives Kentucky another weapon that uh, SEC has to worry about as well as when they get to the NCAA tournament. Also, I was when I was watching this team last night. It looks like they're a phenomenal slashing team, and they love to get out in transition. But I think shooting will be a decently big issue. I think Kevin Knox is our best shooter, and he's our small forward. So I think that it's going right. to be a struggle. But if if you wanted the comeback at UK. And uh, take back your scholarship and play for them. I'm sure they'd be happy to do that and get another shooter on the floor. <laughs> hey, all the thing I can do is follow them in the corner. So if yeah, they really want guard, I just run to the corners and uh, just tell them make sure you hit me, clean the ball, and I'll be ready to I'll be ready to pull the trigger. <laughs> well, Tony, thanks again for joining us, and I thought this was a phenomenal show. We are so glad you were able to join us. We would, and we would absolutely love to have you back sometime. This has been one of our best shows, and it's going to be a memorable one. All right, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. That's uh, Tony Delk okay. joining us on the Ball Talk Pod.